Hello and welcome to Defibrillator, a podcast sharing new narratives about the half-truths we're told in health and disease. Hello and welcome to episode one of Defibrillator. I'm Jade Ashton and today I'm going to be talking to you about the use of battle metaphors in cancer and other chronic diseases and how damaging that can really be, as well as giving my own alternative analogy in the form of a story. You can find a written version of this podcast episode on our website, defibrillator.co.uk, where there's also a reference list of all of the sources that I've used, which I'll link in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please consider sharing it with your friends and family and letting us know on our Instagram, at defibrillator. That's defib, R-E-L-A-T-E-R. Episode 1. Your body is not a battlefield. It's time to change the way we think about cancer, to end the expectation that everyone has to fight to survive. Chapter 1. The origins of fighting talk. Fighting talk forms a harmful narrative around cancer, perpetuating unhelpful beliefs about the right way to face it, preventing crucial conversations about death and end-of-life care, and leaving those who succumb to it, and their families, feeling like they did not, or could not, fight hard enough. It has had a pervasive impact on communication surrounding cancer, from everyday conversation to charity messaging, even influencing the language of healthcare professionals and scientists. How many times have we heard oncologists refer to cancer as aggressive or invasive, something that must be fought? It is the most accepted way of talking about cancer today, offering an easily replicable, knee-jerk reaction to difficult news. This attitude stems not only from the militarization of healthcare in the West, dating back to the 17th century and heavily promoted by the 19th century physician Louis Pasteur, but also from attitudes the West has historically held about war itself. The crux of a battle is the conquest and destruction of the enemy, rather than preservation, capture or peaceful coexistence. According to the Macmillan Missed Opportunities Advanced Care Planning Report, released in 2018, it is a commonly held belief that describing people with cancer as fighters or thinking of cancer as a battle keeps people's spirits high and instills in them a sense that they are working hard to combat the disease. However, the report also found that healthcare imagery that revolves around battle can insidiously delay crucial conversations about end-of-life wishes and prevent healthcare professionals and patients from expressing themselves truthfully, avoiding topics they fear would damage morale or expose their apparent lack of faith. 
fighting talk is intrinsically tied to our discomfort about death and dying in the West. In Atul Gawande's book, Being Mortal, we bear witness to the painful effects of our aversion to discussing death, overtreatment, loss of quality of life, and unpleasant procedures being defaulted to when someone is at their weakest, instead of prioritizing comfort and hospice. As Gawande puts it, our reluctance to honestly examine the experience of aging and dying has increased the harm we inflict on people and denied them the basic comforts they most need. This language is not limited to use in cancer alone. Almost everyone with a health condition has heard the words, we'll fight this, or you're so brave, such an inspiration, in one form or another. In reducing someone's journey with illness to a battle, we erase the individual experience and force the notion that they must be constantly fighting with no room for acceptance or simply learning to live with the condition. There may be those who find this attitude helpful or motivational, but to me, keeping up with that expectation seems indescribably exhausting. Chapter 2 A Change of Mindset As we enter a new era of precision medicine, where life-threatening diseases are being transformed into manageable chronic conditions through brilliant research, it is my firm belief that we must shake off this fighting mindset and kill it for good. Cancer is one of these aforementioned conditions as we are now more capable than ever to manage it, often over a long period of time. It is no longer appropriate to liken this to a battle or a war. Battle metaphors drive feelings of guilt when someone is losing the fight and give too much emphasis on the role of someone's mindset when facing cancer. In fact, there should be little emphasis on this at all. All the positive thinking in the world will probably have a limited effect. Do we really want to burden those who are living with cancer further with the guilt of catching themselves thinking a gloomy thought and feeling like they are accelerating their own demise or have even caused the cancer themselves? The likelihood of developing cancer and its outcome is mostly random. And due to a dizzying multitude of factors, that are largely outside of our control, and it is important to make this clear from the outset. After the break, I'll be offering my own alternative narrative about cancer. And while it isn't perfect, and I'll be discussing why as well, I believe it offers a more constructive set of metaphors that we can all use to talk about this often devastating condition.
Welcome back. Let's continue. Chapter 3 Your body is a garden. A favourite analogy of mine for cancer and the immune system in particular, one that I've let my imagination explore recently, is that of a garden. Just like your body, gardens require upkeep. And just like your body has white blood cells, a part of your immune system to keep things in check, a well-maintained garden needs gardeners. Instead of fighting foreign invaders and attacking cells which have gone rogue, it is simply peaceful caretaking. Let's run with this analogy. Your body is a garden, trimmed and maintained and full of a variety of lush vegetation. Each has its own niche and contributes to the garden overall. Sometimes there are visitors from outside the garden butterflies and bees that drift through peacefully. Like harmful bacteria from the environment entering our bodies, sometimes there are more destructive pests, slugs that nibble on salads or delicate leaves. It is the gardener's job to ensure the slugs are removed without harming the rest of the garden. And most of the time, they manage this fairly well. Often, weeds grow in the garden. In amongst the carefully planted flora, the gardeners find dandelions and poppies. Unexpected, but innocuous, and not especially hard to control. A simple scoop will suffice. Sometimes, the weed is so harmless and slow-growing that the gardeners decide to leave it alone. On other occasions, though, the gardeners come across something different and more sinister. A Japanese knotweed, Himalayan balsam, or choking ivy. A weed that could harm the plants growing in the garden. The word quickly spreads around the gardeners, and they come to a consensus. Get rid of it now! Sometimes this quick action is successful. But sometimes, the weed is too hardy or fast-growing. Try as they might, the gardeners are left frustrated as the weed keeps growing back, encroaching more and more on the rest of the garden. More apprentice gardeners are hired, but even the extra help is sometimes not enough. The weed's will to grow is too strong, their adaptations too advanced, for they are living things also with a need to survive and proliferate. Eventually, the weeds area expands dramatically, shading the garden plants from the sun and causing them to wither. The weed seeds fly on the wind and suddenly there are new patches of weeds on the other side of the garden. The weedy thicket grows ever more impenetrable to the gardeners and they are overwhelmed. We, though, can help the gardeners in ways not available to them inside the garden. 
as they have a limited set of tools. Outside the garden, we have many more options, but these often come with consequences. Option number one. Like surgery, we can use diggers to remove the weeds. We must be very careful to ensure that no traces of weeds remain, however, as they could grow back from the tiniest traces. Option number two. Like chemotherapy, we can decide to pour industrial strength weed killer over the garden, risking the garden plants as the weed killer leaches through the soil. The garden is large though, and can often recover. Option number three. Similar to radiotherapy, we can try and put a giant magnifying glass to the garden and damage the integrity of the weeds by scorching them. This is often easier when the patch of weeds is smaller and well-contained. Otherwise, we could risk damaging the garden plants too. Option number four. Like immunotherapies, we can engineer better versions of the gardener's tools, helping the gardeners to find weeds in all the nooks and crannies of the garden and to remove them more effectively with little damage to the rest of the garden itself. Option number five. More recently, CAR-T therapy has become available in some cancers. In the garden analogy, we can say that we've been able to offer an extensive training program when certain kinds of weeds appear. We take a couple of the gardeners out of the garden, give them new tools and train them on how to use them. The gardeners have all spent their careers inside the garden, learning everything by trial and error. When they are returned to the garden, their training allows them to swiftly and precisely remove the weeds, leaving a healthy garden behind. At this point in history, we are more capable than ever to clear a lot of the weeds permanently or for a prolonged period of time. And our knowledge and technology is improving every day. Sadly though, even with all these tools at our disposal inside and outside the garden, sometimes small remnants of roots or seeds or hardy little shoots from the weeds remain and the weed can spring back up again. Sometimes the weeds can be removed on a second or third try, but sometimes it is inevitable that the weeds will return. You just have to let the weeds grow and learn to live with and accept them. Remember to look around at the rest of the garden and see the weeds as part of the whole, not detracting from the vitality of the garden. Chapter 4. Room for Growth One disadvantage of the garden metaphor is a lack of clarity around the role healthcare professionals, researchers and other stakeholders play in the garden. When we talk about gardener trainers or describe the act of administering treatment from outside the garden, we are no longer talking in terms that are understandable within an everyday gardening context. 
Another proposed metaphor is that of a journey, finding inspiration from sub-Saharan African views about illness. In this metaphor, a cancer diagnosis takes you suddenly off a relaxed motorway at cruise control, forcing you to take winding B roads filled with potholes and roadblocks. This metaphor is future-focused and allows neat extensions for doctors as guides and researchers as mapmakers or road resurfaces, as well as the involvement of a community on what can seem a solitary and isolating road. However, it does miss the opportunities that the garden metaphor affords in explaining the nuances of different forms of treatment and what happens inside the body. People living with cancer will have their own preferences for discussing their condition and must be consulted as we move away from the accepted norms of military metaphors. Chapter 5 Where do we go from here? The first thing we need to do, starting today, is to shift away from battle language in our every interaction. This is not a battle. It is gardeners doing their best to take care of the garden, or a diverted and more complex journey one takes when the main path is blocked. Seeing cancer as something that is managed and lived through gives someone a clearer picture of their priorities and can help them better deal with deterioration or relapse. Healthcare professionals, do your best to avoid these unhelpful metaphors. Use another analogy that emphasises that cancer is a condition that must be managed and treated throughout a patient's journey, not fought. Friends and family, do not burden your loved one or yourselves with the impossible task of fighting this. Do your very best to support and empathise and do not feel guilty when things are perhaps not going as you would hope. People living with cancer Use whichever mindset or metaphors that help you understand and live with your condition. Know that it is not due to a lack of fortitude on your part if treatment does not work or your cancer returns, and that the expectation placed on you to fight is unrealistic and unhelpful. Your body is not a battlefield. And everyone, spread the message. We have hundreds of years of convention to break, but I'm confident we can decommission this army once and for all. A large part of the inspiration for this story comes from my own experience as a person with chronic illness, but I thoroughly enjoyed researching for this piece. One source I found particularly valuable when writing this piece was a paper authored by Jingbao Ni et al, and I hope I've pronounced that correctly, from the University of Otago, titled Healing Without Waging War, Beyond Military Metaphors in Medicine and HIV Cure Research, it touches on the origins of military metaphors in medicine 
unravelling the West's obsession with conflict. One stark point made was that after 9-11, patients even started to associate their conditions with terrorism. The paper goes on to analyse metaphors used in other cultures, examining the military metaphors of traditional Chinese medicine, which place emphasis on the patient as a king rather than a soldier, with the doctor acting as a general to best serve the needs of the patient. A look at sub-Saharan Africa reveals the journey mindset of disease, of learning to live with one's condition, which I find to be undeniably preferable. I thoroughly recommend giving this paper a read. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Defibrillator and found it helpful in some way. Do let us know on our Instagram, at Defibrillator. Remember to subscribe to Defibrillator wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And I'll see you next time. Bye for now.